Okay, people, it's the 100th episode of Just For Sport. I am so excited to be at this point. And, of course, I have many people to thank for that. Uh, The people at the Props Network, the guests I had on the show, the people behind the scenes as well. But I'll get to that. Because, of course, we actually have an episode to do here. So I need to do that first. And it's funny because as I was preparing for this episode, it became a realization in a very weird way, very weird way, that this episode will have a very, uh, a Japanese tilt to it. The reason being, as I talk about the NBA playoffs, I talk about my Washington Wizards, and yes, we'll get to Bradley B on Russell Westbrook, but I was impressed by Rui Hachimura. As I would always say, I hope he doesn't ruin R-U-I, the first three letters of his name, what could be an epic season for a player that was taken just as much for his talent in the game as for what he can do off the court with sponsorship, marketing, etc. in Japan for the Washington Wizards. Because a lot of people wanted him to take Cam Reddish and they said, no, we're going with Rui. And he's lived up to expectations. We're going to talk about Naomi Osaka in the French Open and her reasons for taking time off after the French Open threatened to find her more in the other Grand Slam tournaments, threatened to ban her from playing in them because she didn't want to talk to the media. In baseball, Are you watching Shohei Otani? Not only am I watching him, but since he's been a rookie, which was what, 2018, 2019, I have had him on my fantasy team as as either a pitcher or a batter. And I'm so excited because this year I got him as both. So I'm so excited to watch Shohei Otani, the Japanese mythical legend in baseball who we haven't seen the likes of him in baseball since Babe Ruth. Over 100 years, a century. And you're not watching. And in some ways, how could you? Because the Angels aren't very good. And yes, they have Mike Trout on the team. In the Olympics, which are supposed to be happening in Japan. It was supposed to happen in 2020. Now it may happen in what marks today. 50 days to when we're supposed to have the opening ceremonies. And I still don't know if it's going to happen. And I'd be sad if it's, I'll really be sad if it's not. I put a cool video on social media. Shout out to Sarah, who helped me make the video. Really appreciate it. She's great. But let's get into the show. We'll talk about the 100th episode towards the end. I'm going to start with the NBA playoffs. And I've really enjoyed them. I don't know if you have. I hope you have, because I have. Now, they've been way more lopsided in the Eastern Conference than they have in the Western Conference. 
A Gentleman's Sweep by the Philadelphia 76ers, as Yannick called it, over the Washington Wizards. They close out the series 4-1. Shout out to Ariel Woolfolk. I'm going to do a lot of shout outs today. This is our 100th episode. As uh, she was an intern for me and then became a producer, shooter, editor. And last night was her final game. It was fun watching her sitting on the sideline filming. The team recognized her, which made me feel really good. But this was a really good season for the Wizards. And at the beginning of the season, I really didn't think it was going to be. And I know they lost 4-1, but come on. The reason why it was a good season, because you didn't even expect them to be where they are. You didn't. I didn't. But I was happy to go on the journey. When they were, what, 15, almost 20 games under 500? Like, oh, this is not good. Even Houston started well, and all of the talk of Wall versus Westbrook. Beal had an amazing season. Bottom line, wish he was a scoring champ. He's going to be all NBA. He's going to be able to line his pockets with more money, along with the recognition of being an NBA uh, all-star starter. He's had an amazing season, and I'm so happy for him. Do I think the Wizards could have been in the same position with John Wall? Yes, I do. Why? Because I think the learning curve that it took for Russ and and Beal to get going and and the rest of the team to, in some ways, buy into Russ, if you want to call it that, that learning curve is why they were almost 20 games under 500. And I think maybe with the return of Wall, they would haven't gotten off to such a bad start. Injuries hurt them too. Thomas Bryant going down early. That hurt them. But I think in the end, bottom line is that they made it into the playoffs. And that was a Herculean effort. It took a great season from Bradley Beal and a historic season from Russell Westbrook. He passed Oscar Robertson for a total number of triple-doubles in a season. And I'm just looking at the stats here. I'm not trying to take away from Russ and what he's done the regular season, but I was taken aback by it. I think you might be taken aback by this if you didn't know it already. But during, I think it was game three of the Wizards game. And Russ got his 11th triple-double. And they showed a stat of playoff triple-doubles. And for as great as Russ has been during the regular season, during the playoffs, he only has 12 triple-doubles to date. Now, if he continues to whether it's with the Wizards or another team, and you know maybe he does play, which he probably will, five, four, you know maybe four, five, six, seven more seasons, maybe not that many, in the playoffs, then maybe he'll catch this number. But I was surprised that with his 12 triple-doubles, he isn't even halfway to LeBron James or Magic Johnson, who sits at the top with 30. LeBron James has 28 and counting. 
And the thing that came to my mind for that is that the playoffs are a different level. That's where you really have to take your game to a different level. And for as great as Russ has been during the regular season, during the playoffs, does that say he's not as great? Unfortunately, I kind of think it does because the reason why we are all talking about Russell being great is because of his triple doubles. And it has shown in the stats that in the playoffs, he's not as great. Heck, it showed last night in some of the ways that he was missing shots that in order for the Wizards to stay in the playoffs, they needed him. And he couldn't lift up a Wizards team that didn't even have Joel Embiid on the Sixers. Now, you could say, yes, they didn't have Davis Bertans as well for the Wizards. And so the Wizards were hamstrung as well. By the way, Rui Hachimura again, 21 points. He's played well in these playoffs. Bradley Beal had 32 Westbrook had 24, 8, and 10, two rebounds shy of a triple-double, but he shot 35% from the field, 7 of 20. 40% from three isn't bad. But I think a team without Joel Embiid for the Sixers, I wanted to see more out of Russ. Russ needed to lift that team. Now, granted, when you have Neto... Raul Neto and Gafford as your other starters for the Wizards. Gafford's played well since he's been traded from the Bulls. Got to give him that. But in many ways, uh, the playoff Russ is just simply different from the regular season Russ. And the playoff Russ cannot stand up to the same level as Magic and LeBron in my mind when you talk about uh, greatness and in the playoffs. Now, Rui Hachimura, I am very happy for the progress that he has made since he was drafted by the Washington Wizards at number nine out of Gonzaga. He's averaging 13 points per game, 5 rebounds, and 1.4 assists. He had some highlight reel dunks. And yesterday as I watched the game, he had a nice little turnaround jumper in the lane. I was like, hmm, I like it. And I understand, and that's okay, that several of... People that I was on text chains with talked about, we know why the Wizards made this pick. That part of it was financial. That they recognize, hey, we can get a player in here who can help us with sponsorship and marketing, maybe bring in some dollars in Japan, and that's okay. They aren't the first team to do that, and they won't be the last. They won't be the last. But in my mind, he's lived up to the expectations. Heck, we know that there's some number one picks that haven't lived up to their expectations, one of them being Kwame Brown from the Washington Wizards. So at number nine, I think he's been a serviceable, small forward, power forward. I am impressed with his game. 
Now, enough Washington Wizards talk. Atlanta, I love that ice tray cooled down the Madison Square Garden crowd. The Hawks won that series 4-1. to And I am impressed with Trey Young and what he's done helping to lead that team. But I think they have a good team is the key and why they won. That's the first time there for the Knicks. And that's okay you lost 4-1. That's okay. I think it was kind of a coming out party for Randall. And we are only at the beginning for New York. And I think the fans know that too. That's why they were standing up, you know, Spike Lee and Chris Rock and Q-Tip. You know, they were taking a picture together. Everybody's all excited. All the A-listers sitting along the baseline. They're on the up. And that's good. But the Atlanta Hawks are really on the up and up. And I was impressed with the way he silenced the crowd, made some big buckets at the end. Milwaukee swept Miami. Now, I didn't expect them to sweep Miami because I thought Miami, after being in the NBA Finals last year, wouldn't have taken such a step back, but they just weren't the same team. The Bucks are a much better team. If you have been listening to this show, I have said several times that the Bucs were not the same team since they let Malcolm Brogdon go. They were missing a number three, so to speak. And they got that number three in Drew Holiday. He has been magnificent as the floor general, taking some of the onus off of Giannis, the Greek freak, and having to have ball handling duties. I think he's helped in that realm as well. It's made a big difference. It's made a big difference in the way that the team has played. And Chris Middleton is their number three, big three. Not number three in status, like, but I, I think he is a second best player on the team. But I think in many ways we have seen Milwaukee play dominant, dominant basketball. And by the way, I think as everyone joked that the Washington Wizards got the wrong Lopez. Brooke Lopez has played well for Milwaukee. And the Washington Wizards, well, they got Robin Lopez. Last game in the Eastern Conference, the Boston Celtics and the Brooklyn Nets. Brooklyn. Brooklyn. Another gentleman sweep, so to speak. Beat Boston 4-1. to Boston's already changing, already somewhat blowing it up. Danny Ainge is going to be stepping down. Brad Stevens falling up, so to speak, in my mind. Falling up into that position because I thought that the Celtics underachieved. And I thought he was one of the coaches on the hot seat. Hey, let's make a change. But he found a way to stay in the game. That's why he didn't want to go to Indiana. They were offering him $70 million to go back to Indiana University. He said, no, nah, I'm good. 
He's going to stay in the NBA. But Boston, without Jalen Brown, yes, they are hurting. I think that team is in an identity crisis. I think they're going to have to make up their mind. And maybe that's just between the two players. Is it Jason Tatum's team or Jalen Brown's team? And unfortunately, I think that has to be decided because you cannot have these two players. Um, it just doesn't work to me as a 1-1-A. Didn't work with Shaq and Kobe. Didn't work with Tracy McGrady and Vince Carter. I know I'm going back, but I'm trying to show a trend here that in many ways it just doesn't work that way. And I think that Boston's the two of the, if not just the two players, whoever the new coach that's coming in, maybe they could get Mark Jackson. We've been talking about getting Mark Jackson back on the sideline. Maybe he's the type of player who can help them work it out. And I'm not saying that there's an issue there between the two of them, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, but I think it has to be established who is the top dog on that team. Brooklyn with the big three. I think there needs to be some establishment of who is a top dog on that team too. And we may see that play out as they have to play Milwaukee now. Is Brooklyn the number two seed? Milwaukee the number three seed? That's going to be a tough matchup. A tough series that I'm looking forward to watching. But Brooklyn, I feel like with Kyrie Irving and James Harden and Kevin Durant, they're all just kind of taking turns Okay, you 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 get it for like seven minutes. Do your thing. And then I'll get it for a quarter. I'll do my thing. Then you get it for 10 minutes or five minutes and you do your thing. That's not how it should work in basketball. It needs to be a little more fluid. And I think because they were playing a wounded, underachieving Boston team, Brooklyn looks better. Well, now we're going to see if Brooklyn is actually better. If Steve Nash, who got all of the uh, bad press for being named the head coach of the Brooklyn Nets with no coaching experience whatsoever. Now we're going to see if he can coach. Now we're going to see if he can coach. Because you can't just throw the ball out there with basically not just three all-stars, three Hall of Famers who before the playoffs only played, I think it was seven games together in the entire season. And they had to kind of put it all together in this first playoff series. Well, now we'll see what they've got when they play play the Milwaukee Bucks. Now we'll see. That's going to be a fun series. On the flip side with Philly and Atlanta, I hope Joel and B comes back. Girls, I think Atlanta's going to win that series. All right, over to the West. Utah, another gentleman sweep over the Memphis Grizzlies. Yes, John Morant was on his Grizzly. Shout out to J. Cole. But Donovan Mitchell came back and showed that he is the top dog. And he's a young star too. I think we act like John Morant's young and Donovan Mitchell's like this older vet. No, Donovan Mitchell's still young. I saw a stat on the broadcast last night. I think he Donovan Mitchell's in the top 10 scoring all time in the playoffs. Of these young players, I think we kind of forgot about Donovan Mitchell. All, and maybe we didn't, but he, because he didn't play in game one, I think if he had played in game one, they would have swept the Memphis Grizzlies. And then you would have said Donovan Mitchell was on his Grizzly. But they went 4-1. Now let's see who they're going to play. The Los Angeles Clippers or the Dallas Mavericks? Man. For the Dallas Mavericks, 
you know, when you talk about international stars, Rui, Japan, we've got Dirk Nowitzki, who won a championship with Dallas out of Germany. Now they bring in, it may be unfair to call Luka Doncic the best. Well, it's unfair to call him the best ever for the Mavericks. But I think he has elevated his game above Dirk Nowitzki's already. He's got to win a championship, of course. But I think what we've seen out of Luka in his short career may very well pass Dirk. And I think Dirk's happy with that. I think Dorian Finney-Smith, Tim Hardaway Jr., Kristaps Porzingis, I think they've been quality um, starters, but in some ways supporting cast for Luka. Maybe not so much last night. Finney Smith only had eight points. Porzingis, eight. But Tim Hardaway Jr. at 20. The bigger issue to me is the Los Angeles Clippers. We may be time to blow it up. If they lose, now that they're down 3-2 to Dallas, if they lose in Dallas and they are swept in the first round, I do think that the Clippers will get blown up. It's time to move on. Tyrone Lue may be done. The bigger question is Kawhi Leonard. I remember thinking last year going into the playoffs, if he were to win that championship instead of LeBron the Lakers, then he would have had more titles than LeBron, I believe. Because I think I brought it up on the podcast. Is he greater than LeBron James if he had won the title in the bubble? But they didn't. And they imploded on themselves. And now they may do it again. And what I am recognizing, and not just for the first time, but maybe I'm just saying it here, is that what we have is recognizing that Kawhi may not be the leader, the superstar that LeBron is. And realizing that he wasn't the leader on the Spurs. He was just a quality player, a great player, but he had Tony Parker and Manu Ginobili and Tim Duncan. And that those guys were the reasons why they were winning. Along with Kawhi, but Kawhi is not a leader. He can play a great game, but maybe he's just too quiet to be a leader that way. Or maybe we just don't hear how he's being a leader. But I tell you what, if they lose to Dallas, then it's on him. Playoff P, pandemic P, whatever you want to call him. Paul George is the 1A to Kawhi Leonard's number one. And maybe that's not fair. But I think what we saw in Paul George and Kawhi Leonard were two superstars that we thought were going to be a leading the Clippers to like this dynasty team. And we're just not seeing it. Even that championship that Kawhi won in Toronto, that was Kyle Lowry's team. Pascal Siakam. He joined and already great dynamic team maybe they need maybe maybe the clippers need to keep doc rivers one more year just for that continuity and they didn't and if they lose whoo i think heads will roll in la 
Denver, Portland. I love this series. It's my favorite series to watch. You've got Dame Lillard who can hit from the other side of the court if he wanted to. Denver leads the series 3-2. You've got who will probably, the player who will probably be the MVP and Nikola Jokic on the Nuggets. You've got the storyline of Carmelo Anthony playing against his former team in the Nuggets, one of his former teams, but the team that drafted him and he had a pretty successful career. Remember that time when AI was traded to Denver? Like, oh, what are we going to see out of Denver? Nothing. Portland, I think, would win the series if they had a quality big man, and they don't. They are missing a quality big man on that team. Nurkic is trying. But he's just not good enough. He's just not good enough. I do think that the Trailblazers could be up 3-2 if Robert Covington, bummed out for him, didn't miss that dunk that would have put the um, Portland Trailblazers down one with a minute to go. CJ McCollum, if he didn't step out of bounds. Those two plays really hurt what was a ridiculously amazing game out of Dame Lillard, 55 points. And he was shooting 70% from three, 12 of 17. There's some entire teams that shoot that. But Enos Kanter and Nurkic aren't getting it done trying to check Jokic. Robert Covington, you know, he had a really good two possessions down the stretch in that double overtime playing defense against Jokic. But it's going to be fun to watch tonight. It's going to be fun to watch this game tonight. No doubt about that. In Portland, let's see what the Trailblazers can do. And lastly, goodbye, Lakers. Lakers are done. I think Phoenix is going to win this series. Chris Paul is, seems to be healthier. I think that without Anthony Davis, as Charles Barkley called him, street clothes, that was, that was, oh, that was tough. That was, woo, that, that had to hurt. Calling Anthony Davis street clothes. Phoenix is just a better team. They are the number two seed. I did talk about Chris Paul and Donovan Mitchell not getting enough love for MVP. Because for little guys, they're only six feet. They do a lot. Jokic has that height too. So he can dominate just with his height. At least he should. I know all NBA players don't dominate with their height. But you would think when you're at that level and you're playing in the NBA and you're a seven-footer and you have the skills that Jokic does and even Embiid, yeah, you should be dominating. So, you know, maybe you know, I kind of like have a little bit more compassion for the little guy. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Because Jokic is amazing. And if he gets MVP, I'm, I'm cool with it. I'm cool with it. But back to Phoenix and the Lakers. Phoenix is the better team. If Anthony Davis is not able to go, and I know that LeBron James will never, ever, ever let anybody tell him that he can't just will the Lakers to win even without Anthony Davis. 
I think that Phoenix, if you can call it a big three, which it kind of is with DeAndre Ayton, Devin Booker, and Chris Paul, I think they can dispatch with the Lakers tonight. I'm going to be watching that one. I'm going to be up late, late. NBA is fantastic. And speaking of late, I feel like I'm kind of late to talking about Naomi Osaka bowing out of the French Open, taking time off from the game. And the reality is that I am torn. I really am torn in my feelings, in my thoughts about Naomi Osaka and the the main reason why I am torn is because I feel for Naomi and what she's going through. Her health and well-being is very important. And I think when she first said, hey, I'm not talking to the media, I wasn't really happy about it. I was like, I don't know about that. I really don't know about it, but about how I feel about it. And then as I heard her talk about more how she still really has not been the same since 2018 after the debacle that was the U.S. Open final, her first major that she won over Serena Williams and the Serena Williams getting upset with the chair umpire. And I mean, it was just, it was a disaster of a final. There's no doubt about that. But it's Mental Health Awareness Month. We've all dealt with mental health aware, mental health, um, not so much issues, but your mental health is important. I've, I'm dealing with my mental health. We all are. We're all day to day. And there were a lot of pressures on Naomi that had nothing to even do with tennis. But it started with tennis. But as a superstar, a Japanese superstar, and what's happening with the Olympics, should they play or should they not play? I'm sure part of what she was worried about is hearing that too. Having to answer the questions for Japan. The Black Lives Matter movement. She's very... Um, integral to that movement she was and is at the forefront of that movement. you remember at the u.s open she wore the mask that had a different name ahmaud aubrey brianna taylor a different name for someone who was killed at the hands of the police and the police brutality and the social justice issue she's at the forefront of that and so there was that part of me that hearing her saying, I'm not going to be talking, is like, oh, but we're losing one of the great and most visible sports stars who can help not just raise awareness for the Black Lives Matter movement, but for that young girl or boy that wants to play tennis that is now looking up to you, Naomi. That the people of Japan and the Olympic organizers and the OIC are also going to be having their eyes on you. It's a lot. It is a lot. 
And she's not the only athlete that has dealt with mental health issues either. Kyrie Irving, LaMarcus Aldridge, Kevin Love in basketball, and others. But, you know, when it isn't just the French Open saying we're going to find you, but all of the other Grand Slams after they originally were like, oh, we feel for Naomi, we understand what she's going through. But then they said, but if you don't talk, we're going to have to ban you from playing in our tournaments. That was that was like a wow moment for me. And I'm sure it was a wow moment for her. Like, wait a minute. Because I think on the other side of it, and there are multiple sides. What am I talking about? There's no, there's no fence here. There's no black or white. That's hurting the pocketbook. That's hurting the game if Naomi Osaka's not playing. They asked Venus Williams about it. And to paraphrase it in one sentence was kind of like, I, I'm okay, talk to me. I don't care because I'm better than you at tennis. You can't take away my media time or rather you can have my media time but you can't take away my game serena williams said some people are thick skinned some are thin now i don't think of that as a shot at naomi but it is saying hey i'm thick skinned i can i can talk to you i can take what you can give and i don't think all of the media are giving most of the media are not being there to try to like talk about you and say bad things there are a lot of you know writers and journalists and you know tv personalities radio personalities myself included that have a lot of positive things to say about naomi osaka and other athletes in tennis basketball baseball hockey etc etc football Money does not buy you happiness. But not having it and being depressed and having mental illnesses, I feel for those people. That was another part of it that I was thinking of. There isn't $55 million that you see on the screen that Naomi earned last year as the highest paid female athlete in the world that she could say, you know what, I'm not going to play. I'm going to go on vacation. I'm going to go to Seychelles. I'm going to go to Turks and Caicos. I'm going to do this. I'm going to go to Disney World. I'm going to do some fashion runways. I'm a, If I wanted to, I can go star in a TV show or a movie. I can sit at home and do nothing. I can do a passion project, whatever I want to. And there are people who don't have those means that are struggling as well. And I hope that when Naomi tries to figure out what to do now, she is going to find a way to give back and speak up for those people who can't just say, oh, I'm not playing and I'm just going to go and do something else. And I'm not saying Naomi's necessarily doing that, but the money is there for her to do whatever she wants to do. There are people dealing with mental illness that have to go to work nine to five. Maybe they don't have a job and are struggling with mental illnesses, mental health. So it's not easy. We are all human here. 
but there are levels of empathy with the humanity of what professional athletes are going through. Maybe Naomi's career ends up being shorter because this mental illness weighs so heavily on her that she's not going to be able to come back from this. That she won't be great. But the sad thing is, I think more than just the tennis community needs her to talk. What she's done for social justice was so, so, so invaluable. Immeasurable. She could do the Marshall Lynch thing if she wanted to. Just sit there and say, I'm just here so I don't get fined. Or Rasheed Wallace. Good game, both teams played hard. Every question that was asked of him. Good game, both teams played hard. She could also just simply say, next question if she doesn't like a question. Or, she could also just talk about social justice issues. Like the WNBA players and the NBA players did during the bubble when they wouldn't ask answer questions they wouldn't as we expected them to do talk about the game and they talk about social justice issues and that's all they would talk about there are other ways that she can combat what originally she she said was i don't want to ask answer stupid questions i don't want to be asked stupid questions and and look Yes, there are questions asked multiple times, but that's because you're trying to get a different answer. Just like one of the things you do is if someone isn't answering the question the way you want to, you ask a question, you sit there silently and you maybe they'll, that person opens up because they don't like the awkward silence. So yeah, journalists are going to ask some of the same questions to see if they get a different answer, a different result. I remember Serena during the Australian Open when she didn't win. And she was she did her media obligation. And she walked off the set when it got a little emotional. You have that option too. And whoever the people are they're advising Naomi maybe should have said, uh, this isn't really the right thing to do. But Naomi felt it was in her heart. And you have to respect that. But this is a business. It's an ecosystem. The media is there to help you. The tennis game is there to elevate you as the star that you are when you win. You wouldn't have made the $55 million last year if it wasn't for tennis. If it wasn't for the media getting your name out there, praising you just as much as maybe there are times. Yes, there are times that they are hard on you too. But they talk about how wonderful you are as a person, the talent you are as a player, the intelligence that you have as a person as well. That's a part of the ecosystem. You think of sports back in the day when Billie Jean King was starting the women's tour. Maybe Naomi should go talk to Billie Jean King. They wanted media coverage. Please, please come here and talk to us. The WNBA, we want more coverage. Give us more. The U.S. women's national soccer team, most of the time is during the Olympics, that they get the amount of coverage that is on a world stardom level 
compared to when they're playing in their the NWSL, National Women's Soccer League, it doesn't get as much coverage. So they got to maximize it when they can, which is during the Olympics, which I hope happens, but there's a good chance that it won't. The media helps the people, the fans fall in love with the players as characters, as personalities. And the media isn't just a journalist writing an article. It's also the broadcasting of the games is a part of the media. When I was a producer and or their talent, there's nothing I love more when I had a camera in my hand because I also was shooting and editing and doing everything. When I got to see the real personality of the player, when Bradley Beal, John Wall, Gilbert Arenas, Karan Butler would let me into their home. Not because I wanted to be in their home or their personal space, but also because I knew that the fan would like to see that. You know, that voyeuristic aspect of it. They love it. They're living vicariously through you. And even the emotions, the sympathy that they have for Naomi and what she's going through with the not being able to really feel yourself when you're talking to the media. We understand, they understand that too. We understand that. Everyone is sympathizing with Naomi, but they also understand the business side of it and what puts you here as well. In many ways, a women's tennis game is better than men's. And it puts you on that pedestal. If you didn't want that pedestal, don't be a professional athlete. Part of your profession, being a professional tennis player, is talk to the media. As Rafa says, part of the game. It's part of the game. If the negativity isn't for you, then maybe you shouldn't be in the game. Because it's not just the media. It's also social media that maybe you should get off of and away from. Don't go on so cancel your social media accounts. Just go somewhere where you feel like you are in your element, and that's okay. But the game of tennis would would hurt immeasurably without Naomi Osaka, who was such a bright spot in the game. Such a bright spot in the game. At the very least, at least you get a press conference. It's not a locker room scrum where everybody's just right up on you. Press conference is a little more civilized. And there are some great writers, journalists, media personalities, and TV and radio that deserve better just as much as you, Naomi, feel like you deserve better. And the game of tennis deserves better. They deserve to have you and vice versa have you a part of the game not to have you we understand you have your personal space but I hope that this is something that we are able to get over and Naomi can get over it and the media can understand what we're dealing with here the fans can all come together in a way that can help Naomi come back and be in a safe space, but be in the game of tennis the way she wants to as well. I think we all want that, right? Something else we all want to see, and I hope you understand what you are seeing, is the greatness that is Shohei Otani. Playing for the 
Anaheim Angels. Oh, my heart hurts that Anaheim just cannot get over the hump. But are you realizing that we are watching greatness? We haven't seen the likes of a player like this since Babe Ruth. He's a Japanese phenom. He's just been amazing. I mean, I even had to do a double take. He's got over 50 RBIs and 15 home runs this season. Now, because the team isn't very good in the Anaheim Angels, he has not won enough games. Was he one and one on the season? They're 25 and 30. Five games under 500 isn't that bad. Their runs for, runs against differential is minus 42. That's bad. But we are watching greatness that is better than everyone else playing Major League Baseball right now. Better than everyone, people. You can't even give me an argument that he isn't better than everyone. Because my man is pitching and hitting. He may be the first $500 million player in Major League Baseball, in sports. I'm so happy I got him on my team, my fantasy team as a pitcher and batter. I just love to see it. Sometimes I just go look at my lineup, which actually I need to make sure I change it today. I'm like two and four in the season. But I like just looking at it. Just like, oh, wow, I've got Shohei Otani. Haven't taken him out of my lineup as a pitcher or batter all season. And I won't. You can't. Why would you? It'd be a mistake. He's amazing. He throws 100 miles an hour and can hit a baseball some some them some radars have clocked the speed at 110 miles per hour. 2.72 ERA with 50 strikeouts and 36 in the third innings. He's slugging 597 with 15 homers, seven stolen bases. As I was reading all these different articles on ESPN and Major League Baseball, CBS Sports, The Ringer, Yahoo Sports, on average, he's been more than 50% better than average on both sides of the ball. A top 15 hitter and a top 15 pitcher in one player. That's what he is. His metrics on both sides of the ball are well above average. And no one else in Major League Baseball can say that. The Angels pretty much got a steal. They're paying them peanuts now. But they're going to have to pay up. And they already got Mike Trout and they paid him. Which means Shohei Otani will be playing for another team next year. That's my, that's my take on it. And he's a quality all-around hitter. He's not just a home run hitter. He'll bunt, some triples, some doubles. You must respect the greatness that is Shohei Otani.
And with all the metrics in baseball, you'll find plenty of stats. I don't need to give them to you. You'll find plenty of stats to back me up. And all, of course, all the money he's making in endorsements, too. I mean, this guy is maybe the first billionaire player. The player comparison between Babe Ruth and Shohei Otani. They showed this on Major League Baseball the other night. Babe Ruth. At a 2.97 ERA in the 1919 season. In 133 innings pitched, 29 home runs, 456 on base percentage, 657 slugging, led Major League Baseball in those three batting stats. Shohei Otani, 2.10 ERA, 209 ERA plus. 25 is inning, innings pitch. So I, I you know I want to see where Otani ends up. But Shohei Otani has 13 home runs, 93 total baseball bases, excuse me. Leads major league baseball in both stats. You're watching greatness people. He had a 117-mile-per-hour home run in a 103-mile-per-hour pitch. If there's one player that I've got to see before it's all over, I got to see, you should want to see Shohei Otani. Go see an Angels game. If you're in the American League, there's a much better chance he's coming to your ballpark versus National League, which I am in a National League city. But you got to want to see him. You got to. It's just amazing. All right. Last story here. Last story. As yeah, this is a long pot. The Olympics. The Olympics are supposed to be taking place. The countdown clock is at 50 days today on my 100th episode of Just for Sport. Now, I have been to two Olympics in my life Seoul, South Korea. In 1988, in the 100th Centennial Games in Atlanta, Georgia. And the Olympics has a very special place in my heart. I have so much just awesome memorabilia, pins, swatch watches, tickets. My Nike basketball from the Olympics, I actually played with it like a dummy when I should have saved it. Of course, it got all destroyed. That was a treasure I'll never forget. In my jacket that I put pins on. It was a Nike paper jacket, and I put the pins in it. So, of course, it ripped up the jacket, but the jacket was awesome. I do have my 1996 Olympics jacket still. 
I wore it the other day and some lady's like, oh, I was there too. I'm like, oh, cool. I love the games. I wish they didn't have to cancel in 2020. I bought a 2020 t-shirt for, for Team USA. But I don't know. I think like the bubble in the NBA, the Olympics wants to force these games to happen. Then I read on ESPN today that nearly 10,000 volunteers drop out of the Tokyo Games. That's got to hurt. In this article, it talked about how important unpaid volunteers are to the workforce in the Olympics and volunteers in a, in a study done for the IOC volunteers at the 2000 Sydney Olympics said their value was at least 60 million dollars for the 40,000 volunteers you can't have volunteers drop out support for the Olympics is not doing very well as it gets closer and closer to the games happening when the COVID-19 pandemic is still wreaking havoc on Japan. Now, there only been just over 13,000 deaths, which is far lower than other countries, but higher than some of the other Asian countries. And you don't want to trivialize the deaths, but you got to, you're trying to show these different stats to say, hey, look, you know, we haven't had that many people that have passed away from the Olympics. We're doing okay. We can do this. A member of the Ghanaian soccer team tested positive upon arriving in Tokyo. Now he's in quarantine. Soccer players from Jamaica were unable to go because of the issues due to the coronavirus. Now the organizers... See, Japan can't cancel the Olympics. And I know everybody wants to ask Naomi Osaka, hey, should they cancel the Olympics? The IOC cancels the Olympics. And that would be billions upon billions of dollars lost for Japan. Not just from not having the games, but what they did to build the infrastructure to have the games as well. Stadiums, you know, getting committees set up, the traveling back and forth. There's a lot that goes into it. They've spent about $15 billion to organize the Olympics. And it says in this report that all but $6.7 billion is public money. IOC has contributed $1.5 billion. So they're going to lose money if they don't have this Olympics. Well, they're going to lose money anyway because they're not supposed to have fans. So it's going to be tourism. There's more outside of the games of people losing money by not having the Olympics. Only about 2 to 3% of Japan's general population has been fully vaccinated. And they're trying to speed up and get all of these people vaccinated in the next two months. 50 days until the Olympics starts. But realistically, the athletes are already going to be there. Some of them are there. Some of them are traveling there. And this is where I have an issue. The IOC expects at least 80% of athletes and residents of the Olympic Village to be fully vaccinated. You need 100. And I'll tell you why. 
Because when you look at these athletes and you look at, remember baseball? Remember when the report like a week and a half ago or two weeks ago that, you know, players who were fully vaccinated were now getting COVID-19 and they couldn't understand how they were getting it. They were fully vaccinated. If I'm an athlete, do I want to go there and not know who's vaccinated and who's not? Are you going to have a separate Olympic village for those that are not vaccinated and those that are vaccinated? You certainly can't have them competing in separate events. So if you're an athlete, yet there's a chance that you're going to contract COVID while you're at the Olympics. This could lead to the end of your career and God forbid death. This is simply not good. It's simply not good. And if I'm the IOC, if and if I'm an athlete and you risk your entire, you know, there isn't just a professional athlete to have a career outside the Olympics are going. You know, you watch the commercials where they show, you know, a Fortune 500 company who one of their employees, you know, they let them go away for weeks and months at a time to train. And this is their, this is their one shot in the Olympics and they're going to go back to, to their regular career, whatever store or company they work for. That's got to hurt the thought of them not being able to compete. This could be their first chance or their last chance to earn a medal. Or just to go and experience walking out onto the field for the opening ceremonies and representing your country. There's a lot at stake here. This is going to hurt a lot of people, countries, organizations, athletes. The fans, we want to watch the Olympics. The media wants to cover the Olympics. So no one is happy about this whatsoever. But the ILC's got to be smart. They've got to understand, just as we have as citizens, just as we have as the organizations and the teams and the leagues have, is this the right thing to do? And I don't envy them for what they have to go through. I don't. And yeah, I want to see the Olympics too. I do. I do. All right, so this is the 100th episode. If you haven't seen my social media video, shout out to Sarah for putting it together for me. But it's meant a lot to me to get to this point. And a lot of people have contributed to it. To Sam Kotler and to Kyle from the Props Network. For giving me this opportunity. Cal Pie as he now goes by. <laughs> on social media. The Props Network. Thank you so much for giving me this opportunity. This has meant a lot. Doing 100 episodes of Just for Sport. I didn't know if I would get there. And I've got so many people to thank. It's like tough to go down the entire list. And I know you're probably saying, oh, please don't go down the entire list. But I don't want to leave anybody out. Haley Mylon was on my first episode. Frank Hanrahan. 
Michael Wilbon, Sarah Eckert, Trevor Booker, Tori Smith, Casey Phillips, David Aldrich, Andy Thompson, Mark Stern, Ava Wallace, Dexter Henry, Joe Wolkowski, Carrington Simons, Phil Chenier. There have been a lot. Michael Lee, Mati Azervon, Mo Curry. It has been a wild ride, and I've enjoyed it for all 100 episodes. And as I thought about going through the 100 episodes, Ben Bobek helping me for a time. He was a guest on the show and a host on the show. The Athletics' Matt Fortuna was on the show. What's going to be next for me? What am I going to do next with this show? Because I started, you know, the thing is, when I wanted to start the show, it was like I really want to interview people. You know, I know it's sports and betting, but I really wanted to get to know different people and different aspects of sports. I already got my guest for 101. If he'll come on. I've just had so many iterations of the show. Guess, no guess. You hear me yap about sports. But it's therapeutic in a way. I love talking to people. At its core, I've always loved sports talk radio and television and being a studio host and a sideline reporter, doing play-by-play and being an analyst. You know I've got a lot of opinions on things. And it's a wonderful outlet for me. Wish I got paid a lot more money like some others do. Maybe I will someday. Still would love to have a TV show or radio show or both. But for now, just as the title says, I do this just for sport. It's what I love to do. It's what I love to do. And I thank everyone who has helped me get to this point. I'm very appreciative. And I look forward to many more. 150, 200, 500, 750, 1,000 if I can get to that point. And I thank you all of the listeners and subscribers you know, very much at the core, I know how important you are too in supporting me. Liking my stuff on TikTok and Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn. Who knows what the future holds and where Just For Sport can go. But I know one thing. I'm going to keep going. If nothing else, I'm doing it just for sport. Ciao for now.